afternoon, brothers and sisters. It's a rich blessing that we can be gathered here together a second time to worship our Lord this Sunday. Welcome everybody present, visitors and guests and those joining us on live stream. May the Lord be praised by our worship and may we be strengthened and encouraged in faith of Jesus Christ. Consistory has the following announcements. We're reminded that the wedding of Sister Casey Klein and Brother Callan Decker will take place this Friday, 12.30 in Freeform Church of Mundachong. Classis North will be convened, the Lord willing, by the Freeform Church of Mount Nazura on Friday the 28th of October. Since preparing nominations for office, two brothers have requested to immediately be relieved of their nomination. Having considered their reasons, Consistory has agreed to their requests. Consistory will therefore meet with deacons tomorrow at 8pm to complete the list of nominated brothers. This afternoon's service will be led by our Emeritus Minister, Rem Feldman. Before we commence the worship service, let's sing together from Psalm 116, the verses 1 and 10. Sisters, let us rise to receive the greetings of the Lord. First of all, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And we greet you, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Let's praise the name of the Lord. Let's sing Psalm 118, verse 1 and 4. 
in community church of all times and all places. We will confess our Catholic undoubted Christian faith. We will do that this afternoon with the words of the Nicene Creed. And after that we'll sing from hymn 4, the verses 1, 2 and 3. Everyone speaks with me in his heart. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things, visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all ages, God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and became incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and it was made man. He was crucified for us, and the Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he arose according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who spoke through the prophets. And we believe on holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.
Let's unite in prayer. Gracious God and Father, we thank thee that we may, that we may dwell in thy presence for the second time today to find shelter and refuge with thee. Shelter amid the turmoil in this world and all the times also in our own life. Shelter also by listening to the gospel of thy love towards us sinners. Sinners and yet saved in Christ, the Redeemer also of our lives. But we thank thee that by thy grace we may belong to that nation, the church, as Christ gathers, defends and preserves from the beginning of this world to its end. Preserving us also on the road to our eternal home. To stay focused on that eternal destination of our life, thou hast also given us the Sunday as a day of rest. A joyful day to refocus our minds on the things that are above. Lord, throughout the week we often get distracted. But then on Sunday thou art there again as our faithful God and Father to provide us with the food unto eternal life. A place of springs, a lush oasis in the wilderness of this world. And Lord, we need it to stay focused. When we return to our daily routine at work, our studies, as moms caring for a busy family, maybe on holidays, grounded this afternoon, we are strengthened in our faith so that we daily stay focused on what really counts in life, to walk with thee in all that we do. Lord, we pray thee help us to listen attentively to thy words. For the danger is also there that it just goes through the motions. Because we know the gospel. We have already heard so many sermons. And the basic message can come across as always the same. We know that we are saved by grace alone. And therefore it can happen that the miracle of that grace towards us sinners no longer touches our hearts. We no longer stand in awe of it. And as a result, it can so easily happen that we no longer live from it either throughout the week. Lord, grant that listening to the gospel this afternoon may create in us a renewed desire to serve thee sincerely. It's all our hearts, soul and mind. May that be the fruit of this afternoon's preaching. We pray thee, Father, be near to us both in speaking and listening. Bless our worship when we sing our praises to thee and give our offerings in the collections. Be with thy people wherever they come together today, Father, all over this world. Grant them comfort amid the trials they go through. This afternoon we pray thee also for thy persecuted children. Father, we don't know what it means that there is no freedom to go to church imprisoned, tortured, killed, so many places around this world, not only in the well-known countries like North Korea and China, 
especially also on the African continent in Nigeria, in India as well. So many countries, Father, that people are daily killed for the sake of their faith. Have mercy. And if it's that, will grant relief from suffering. And help us, Father, to redeem the time of freedom we still have today, so that it will never testify against us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This afternoon in the preaching, we'll once again focus on the sacrament of Holy Supper and also focus on those words of the Lord Jesus Christ that he says, I am the bread of life. And in that context we will read a section from John 6. A very large section, but that is to look at the context in which Christ spoke these words. So we start the scripture reading in John 6 verse 41 and we'll read through to the end. John 6, starting in verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that come down, came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourself. No one, can, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's written in the prophets, and he will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna, the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disrupted among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? 
It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe. And who it was who betrayed him. He said, this is what I told you, that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who he, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So far, the scripture reading, the singer response from Psalm 118, verses 6 and 7.
This afternoon we will deal with Lord's Day 29 of the Harvard Catechism. And in connection with that, we'll also read a section of Article 35 of the Belgic Confession. So let's turn first to Lord's Day 29 on page 544 of the Book of Prayers. Are then the bread and wine changed into the real body and blood of Christ? No. Just as the water of baptism is not changed into the blood of Christ, and is not the washing away of sins itself, but is simply God's sign and pledge, so also the bread in the Lord's Supper does not become the body of Christ itself, although it is called Christ's body, in keeping with the nature and uses of sacraments. But then does Christ call the bread his, whole, his body and the cup his blood? Or the new covenant in his blood? And why does Paul speak of a participation in the body and blood of Christ? Christ speaks this way for a good Christ speaks in this way for a good reason. He wants to teach us by this supper that as bread and wine sustain us in the temporal life. So his crucified body and shed blood are true food and drink for our souls to eternal life. But even more important, he wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge, first, that through the working of the Holy Spirit we share in his true body and blood, as surely as we receive it with our mouth, as surely as we receive with our mouth these holy signs and in remembrance of him. And second, that all his suffering and obedience are as certainly ours as if we personally had suffered and paid for our sins. Now we turn to Article 35, the Belgian Confession, on page 514 of your Book of Praise. We read the first section. We believe and confess that our Savior Jesus Christ has instituted the sacrament of the Holy Supper to nourish and sustain those whom he has already regenerated and incorporated into his family, which is his church. Those who are born anew have a twofold life, one is physical and temporal, which they received in their first birth and common to all men. The other is spiritual and heavenly which is given them in their second birth and is affected by the word of the gospel in the communion of the body of Christ. This life is not common to all, but only to the elect of God. For the support of the physical and earthly life, God has ordained earthly and material bread. This bread is common to all, just as life is common to all. For the support of the spiritual and heavenly life, which believers have, he has sent them a living bread, which came down from heaven, namely Jesus Christ, who nourishes and sustains the spiritual life of the believers when he is eaten by them that is spiritually appropriate and received by faith. To represent to us the spiritual and heavenly bread, Christ has instituted earthly and visible bread as a sacrament of his body and wine as a sacrament of his blood. He testifies to us that as certainly as we take hold the sacrament in our hands and eat and drink it with our mouth, 
by which our physical life is then sustained, so certainly do we receive by faith, as the hand and mouth of our soul, the true body and true blood of Christ, our only Savior, in our souls, for our spiritual life so far. In response to the sermon, we will sing the last verse of hymn 12. Himself is 14 in response to the sermon. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the essential elements of the sacrament of Holy Supper is that when celebrating Holy Supper, we feast on the communion with Christ, our living Savior. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, the Apostle Paul writes, The cup of blessing which we bless is not the communion of the blood of Christ. The bread which we break is not the communion of the body of Christ. Now, these words point to our communion with Christ when we eat from the bread and drink from the cup. When we do this, we share in Christ. And all his benefits. The sacrament of Holy Supper signifies and seals this to us. While eating and drinking, we share in the communion with Christ. Christ himself spoke about this communion when he spoke about the bread as his body given for us, and the wine as his blood as his blood poured out for us when he instituted Lord's Supper. Now, of course, when Christ said it. He did not refer to his actual body and blood, but to what would happen at the cross, where he gave his life for us. That's what the sacrament of Holy Supper refers to. Every time we celebrate that sacrament, brothers and sisters, Christ assures us, see, what I did for you. I gave my life for you. See how much I loved you. And never doubt this. Christ died for us. But he also rose from the dead. And next he ascended into heaven. From where he pours out his heavenly gifts upon us. It's also something we should remember when we celebrate Holy Supper. When we eat from the bread and drink from the cup. We feast on the communion we have with the living Savior. Who according to the promises he has given us is near to us. Always. And again, we should never doubt this. Two times I've said we should never doubt this. The brothers and sisters, we can all think of moments of doubts. Moments that we struggle in faith. And that's why our faith needs strengthening, not only by the weekly preaching of the gospel, but also by a regularly, by regularly sub celebrating the Holy Supper. And that's why Christ instituted this sacrament. Focusing on Lord's Day 29 this afternoon, I proclaim to you the gospel under the following heading. At Lord's table, we feast on the communion with Christ. You focus on the nature of this communion, 
the motive for this communion and the assurance received by this communion or through this communion. So first we will focus on the nature of this communion. Lord said 29, brothers and sisters, once again draws our attention to the connection between sign and signified matter. matter. Once again, for also Lord's Day 27, the Lord's Day that dealt with the sacrament of holy baptism, spoke about that same issue. Now concerning the Holy Supper, the Church of Rome teaches that although the attributes, taste and smell, the attributes of bread and wine remain the same, their essence changes into the body and blood of Christ. He called that the doctrine of transubstantiation. Until today, this doctrine has never been revoked. So we don't talk about something, say, from the 16th century, which we all know from the history books. No, it is still applicable today. Roughly 60 years ago, on the Second Vatican Council, Pope John XXIII, Pope John XXIII, maintained this particular doctrine in very powerful words. Now you wonder how a church could agree upon such a, according to us, very strange doctrine. But Rome bases it on Christ's words when he instituted this supper. It's hard to believe that Christ, when he took the bread and referred to it as his body, saying, the bread which I break for you is my body, it's hard to believe that at that moment the disciples indeed understood these words as a literal reference, as a literal reference to Christ's blood. After all, when speaking these words, the Lord Jesus did not refer to his body as such, but to what he would do in his body. With the words of the institution, Christ referred to his work of atonement, which would take effect when his body was broken. And so when he said, the bread which I break is my body, through which you have communion with me, he actually meant to say, the hour has come that I will pour out my life into death for you. For your sins. For your sins, my body will be broken. For your sins, my blood will be shed. To grant you forgiveness of sins and eternal life. In time to come. Whenever you celebrate Holy Supper, this piece of bread will remind you of this sacrifice, will remind you of what I did for you. It says, this is Christ. This is what he did. See, brothers and sisters, that's why the bread is broken before our eyes. It teaches us that, teaches us that Christ's death means life for us. Of course, we know this. The problem is, when I preach, I say that more often, the problem is we know it all. We know it all. But the point is, we have to be reminded of it time and again so that we may live Christ-centered lives. It's a question for self-examination. Is your life always Christ-centered? Let's be honest, it is not always. There are so many things in this world we have to think of and then all of a sudden Christ fades out of focus. 
That's why we go to church on Sunday. That's why we celebrate Holy Supper. And speaking about the bread as his body, Christ used an image he spoke figuratively, as he did more often, pointing to himself and the work he does for us. In John 10, for example, Christ says, I am the door. In John 15, he says, I am the vine. These are images to Christ's work for us and our communion with him. I am the door. That means no one can come to the Father than through me. I'm the vine. Only when you abide in me, as branches in a vine, you will have life. A wonderful image to show how intimate our communion with Christ is. The image of the bread referring to the body of Christ and the wine to the blood of Christ points to that same intimate communion. The broken bread and poured out wine point us to Christ's death on the cross, what our Savior did for us at Calvary. Pledges of Christ's love and faithfulness towards us. A sign and a seal of what God has given us in Christ. And again, these words are so familiar. We read them in the catechism, we read them in the form for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. But a pledge, what's a pledge? A pledge is more than just a promise. I can promise you some things, but you may doubt whether I will do that. But if you pledge, if you make a vow, think of merits. You certify that, so to speak, with a ring on your hand. So sure can husband and wife be of one another's love, when they look at the ring, they say, that's my love for my wife. That's my love for my husband. That's a pledge. And that's how Christ pledges us that he has given his love for us. That's how Christ pledges that he loves us so intimate. Similarly with the word sign and seal. Often when it comes to the sacraments, we, we focus on the sign. Water refers to washing away of sins, and then the bread refers to the body of Christ, the wine to the blood of Christ. That's the sign. And often we forget that it is a seal. As surely as the water has been sprinkled on your forehead, so sure you are a child of God. If you ever doubt that, Think of your baptism. Also those wayward ones. We have walked away. They have that sign. They are children of God. And that's what we plead with. When we pray for them. So surely. Now the same is with Holy Supper. As surely as you have that piece of bread in your hand. As surely as you eat it. So surely Christ is yours. Completely. You never have to doubt it. And that's how you can go away from the Holy Supper, assured your sins have been forgiven. Not they will be forgiven. They have been forgiven. As surely as have eaten that bread, as surely as have drunk from the, cu from the cup. So, they remind us of the secure, secure foundation of the covenant of grace. Christ has commanded us to eat from the broken bread and drink from the cup to focus on that secure foundation so that we not only live Christ-centered but that we also live cross-focused. Christ-centered, cross-focused. 
the cross. That's where Christ died for us. To focus on that, not just when celebrating Holy Supper, but daily. For example, when praying for forgiveness of sins. When you do that, brothers and sisters, sometimes we do that. We ask this in the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus' name. Do you feel guilty? Have you thought of the cross? Maybe it's good when you pray for forgiveness to pause for a moment. To pause for a moment and think of every drop of blood Christ had to shed for us. For that gossip. For that sin that you saw. Oh, is that too bad? Come on. Christ had to shed every drop of blood for my sins. That makes you stand in awe. That Christ is willing to forgive all these sins. See, so often we take almost Calvary for granted. But beloved, when it comes to Christ forgiving our sins, there is nothing to be taken for granted. Of course, we know it is all by grace alone. But do we really understand what the grace means? Daily remember? Do we daily remember the precious price that was paid for it? Brothers and sisters, when we would think a bit more about this, I'm sure it will create a bit more humbleness among us. Less judgmental. No longer comparing our lives with others, thinking at least I'm not as bad a sinner as he or she is. But looking in the mirror first. Humbly confessing. Lord, whom am I? That I may share in all these riches. I, a wretched sinner. I do not deserve it. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I plead with thy grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. When instituted the Holy Supper, Christ also said, do this in remembrance of me. This word remembrance caused Swingley to speak about the Holy Supper merely as a memorial meal. Your brothers and sisters, Holy Supper is more than just a memorial meal. As if at the Lord's table we would do nothing else than just thinking of what one day in the past happened at Calvary. No, when we celebrate Holy Supper, we also think of what we receive in Christ today, as well as what we receive one day in the future. Lord's Supper is far more than just a memorial meal. Calvin had a much better understanding of the meaning of these sacraments. Better than Zwingli and also better than Luther. Luther somehow still believed that the essence of Christ's body was present in the science. And so Luther wanted to mediate between Rome and the Reformation. But we can be thankful that the Lord gave Calvin a more profound insight into these things. Calvin gives the following explanation. The bread is given to us to portray the body of Christ with the command to eat it. And yet, and then we find the same words in Article 5 of the Belgian Confession. We should remember that the Belgian Confession of 1561 was heavily, came heavily from the confession which Calvin had written in 1559. So in Article 35, 
we read, we do not go wrong when we say that what we eat and drink is the true natural body and true blood of Christ. Let that sink in. We do not go wrong when we say that what we eat and drink is the true natural body and blood of Christ. Is that not too close to the doctrine of transubstantiation? The answer is no. For Atmos 35 continues, however, the manner in which we eat is not by mouth, but in the spirit, by faith. In that way, Jesus Christ always remains seated at the right hand of God by his Father in, at his Father in heaven. Yet he does not cease to communicate himself to us by faith. And likewise, we read in Lord's in 29, 9, answer 79, Christ's crucified body and shed blood are true food and drink, true food and drink, for our souls to eternal life. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, we share this true body and blood. Now this is language based on scripture. In the proof text, the catechism refers to John 6, where the Lord Jesus says to the Jews, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that came down from heaven. With these words, Christ compares himself with the manna by which God miraculously kept the Israelites alive during their journeys through the desert. But that manna was given to sustain temporal life. While Christ, by giving his own flesh, grants eternal life. When Christ speaks about the bread from heaven, he refers to his body, which would be sacrificed on the cross. I read for you once more, John 6, the verses 53 through to 56. It says there, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Does the Lord Jesus refer here to the signs of Holy Supper? The answer is only indirectly, not directly. For the sacrament of Holy Supper was not instituted yet. Christ wants to point out this. To a faithful that you have to faithfully accept him as a redeemer. The redeemer who grants life to us, when we have faith in his word, when we believe. That's what is important. We must believe it. In John 6 we read that most of the Jews took offense at these words of Jesus. It says in verse 60, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And the result was that from that moment on, many of his disciples left him. They were no longer interested in what Christ had to say to them. And then comes that question, the Lord Jesus said to his, says to his disciples, do you perhaps also want to go? Upon, the Lord, upon, which, the Lord, upon which Peter declares, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. He says that in response to what Jesus himself had said. 
The words that I speak to you are spirits and they are life. See, beloved, that's how God, that's how Christ comes to his people. Through the word of God which he speaks. To eat his flesh, to drink his blood, means accepting these words in faith. Accepting that from ourselves we are indeed nothing. We need Christ. And that, brothers and sisters, not just saying it. We all can say that easily this afternoon. Of course, we need Christ. But living it daily in humble thankfulness. Lord, again, is this really for me? Lord, here is my life. I want no longer anything else than to serve thee. Cleanse me. Create me a steadfast spirit to serve, to serve thee with new zeal. That will create humbleness. And that's what the Lord wants to see in our lives. And that's why the Lord instituted Holy Supper. To strengthen our faith. That we may daily live our life to the glory of his name. In humbleness serving one another. During the Dark Middle Ages, this teaching had gone completely. It's a doctrine that separated the science from the words, putting trust merely in the science. In doing so, the Church of Rome committed adultery with these signs. And so let us be thankful again that the Lord opened the eyes of Luther and Kelvin and Swingley and others to see this, to understand the importance of all this. Let us treasure in this regard also the history of the Church. It's important to study this history. <coughs> to study how the Lord in those dark middle ages gave reformation. For he is the worker of this. It was God who opened the eyes of the reformers. As fruit of the reformation of the 16th century, the church once again learned the rich meaning of the sacrament of Holy Supper. Rich in knowing how beautifully the signs and breads the signs of bread and wine point us to Christ. Remind us of his love for us. His intense love for us. Every time we celebrate the Holy Supper, Christ reassures us of this love. At this table, Christ says to us, you can count on me. Always. You can count on my love, even if sometimes through weakness you fall into sins. Do not despair. But also... Do not continue in sin. But seek your life outside of yourself in me. In my love. Come to my table. Be reassured of this love. By eating of the bread. And drinking of the cup. I formulated the main thought of this afternoon's sermon as follows. At the Lord's table we feast on the communion with Christ. The first point we focused on the nature of this communion. Secondly, we'll now deal with the motive for this communion. You find that in formulated in, in question answer 79. We go back to question answer 79. Then the question is asked, why then does Christ call the bread his body and the cup his blood, or the new covenant in his blood? And why does Paul speak of a participation in the body and blood of Christ? And then Firstly, it answers, Christ speaks in this way for a good reason. He wants to teach us by, this, by his supper 
that as bread and wine sustain us in this temporal life, so his crucified body and shed blood are true food and drink for our souls unto eternal life. The image is clear. In the same way as for the support of our physical body and earthly life, we need to eat and drink, so the Lord uses bread and wine at the Holy Supper to strengthen our spiritual life. In Article 35 it reads, He nourishes, strengthens and comforts our poor and desolate souls by, eating, by the eating of his flesh and refreshes and renews them by the drinking of his blood. Our desolate souls. Does it mean that we have to come to the table desolate, depressed? Occasionally this may happen. But on the other hand, is the Holy Supper not supposed to be a festive meal? Now it's undoubtedly true that Holy Supper is a festive meal. And therefore we take our seat at the table joyfully, rejoicing in the forgiveness of sins by Christ's blood. But what then about these words of Article 35? Brothers and sisters, we must read this as a reaction against the teaching of the, teaching of the Church of Rome. I've already mentioned that Rome commits idolatry with the bread. You can attend the Mass even without remorse about sin. You have these people that go twice, three times a year to church, celebrate the Mass, and for the rest they can't be bothered. You can do that in the Roman Catholic Church. Calvin, whose hand we can recognize in the wording of Article 35, Calvin had seen how at times there was no acknowledgement of sins when church members attended Mass. But beloved, whoever has not seen how great his sins and misery are can't properly understand what they have been redeemed from. And then thankfulness will be lacking as well. And that's why at the beginning of the Lord's Supper, form, form for the celebration of the Lord's Supper, first we should rightly examine ourselves. And it starts with that we should know our sins and misery to detest ourselves. Do you ever do that? You say, I'm a no-hoper. I have no right to sit here. I, a wretched sinner, how can I sit here in the presence of God? That's a miracle. And then to know that Christ has redeemed us, the second part. That you have to firmly believe that you can sit rightfully here. That you can sit rightfully at the Lord's Supper table. And then thankfulness will follow. So you can't do with that part of sin and misery. We must first realize that we need forgiveness. Only then we can rejoice in our redemption and offer thankfulness to God. It's against this backdrop that we must read those words of Article 35. And it speaks about poor and desolate souls. The form of the celebration also speaks about it. About broken and contrite hearts. It means, brothers and sisters, we should never gloss over our sins. We are not perfect. On the contrary, as the form states, we are dead in ourselves. And, and, and then there comes a section which we so again you should sometimes you should pause a section in the form for Lord's Supper that reads as follows we have many we have many many sins and shortcomings 
they really have to content with the weakness of our faith, with the evil desires of our flesh. Do you see that in your life? Do you really see that in your life? When we truly see this and acknowledge this, we see that it is precisely for this reason that we need strengthening. It's the Lord will give when we celebrate Holy Supper. To nourish and strengthen and comfort our broken and contrite hearts. Whoever in this spirit takes his seat at the Lord's table will indeed feel strengthened when eating from the bread and drinking from the cup. That's how the Lord's Supper must have its place in our life. The Lord has instituted it as we also pray the prayer of thanksgiving after the celebration so that it may lead to our daily increase in true faith and fellowship with him. We go to the second part of Lord's Day, of uh, Answers 17.9. So after it has said, Christ speaks this way for a good reason, then it continues, but even more importantly, he wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge first, that through the work of the Holy Spirit we share in his true body and blood, as surely as we receive with our mouth these holy signs in remembrance of him. And second... That all his suffering and obedience are certainly ours, as if he personally had suffered and paid for our sins. As if he had personally paid for it. The Catechism also confesses that in Lord's Day 23. Namely that God so imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness and righteousness of Christ, as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for us. Just go, to, just go to Lord's Day 23. It's one of the most wonderful Lord's Days in the Harbour Catechism. It's almost hard to believe, and it is true. Lord's Day 23. It says there, How are you righteous before God? Now, I'm not going to read this whole... Uh, answer but it says here that God without any merit of my own out of mere grace imputes the perfect satisfaction righteousness and holiness of Christ and then he grants this to me as if I had never had nor committed any sin as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me that's how God sees us if only I accept this gift with a believing heart. That's Lord's Day 23. So, and that's what is, is assured to us also at the Holy Supper table. By eating from the bread and by drinking from the cup, I'm reassured that I have complete forgiveness of all my sins. And we need that reassurance over and over again. Every Sunday when the gospel is preached to us, yet, as it reads in Article 33 of the Belgian Confession, Mindful of our insensitivity and infirmity, our gracious God has also ordained sacraments to signify and seal his promises to us. Every time we celebrate Holy Supper, God will reassure us of his goodwill and grace towards us. Reassure us of his love in a life full of temptation so that we tomorrow may cling to him. Cling to him when Satan, for example, tries to sow doubt in our hearts tries to lure us away by the fleeting pleasures of this world. The Lord knows how weak we are. He knows how weak we are. 
He knows how easily we give in sometimes. And that's why he instituted the Holy Supper. To reassure us of his love in the visible signs of bread and wine. Reassure us that God is on our side even sometimes when these through weakness fall into sins. In Christ God will forgive us these sins as certainly as if we personally had suffered and paid for him for them. That's Lord Say 23. As certainly as if we had personally suffered and paid for them. But then Christ also says, do not continue in sin. Fight it in the strength I will give you by my spirit. That's God's pledge of love that goes with us on our way to the New Jerusalem. On our way to the day that we will drink the wine new with us, with Christ in the kingdom of his Father. At the Holy Supper table we receive already a foretaste of this festal meal. Festive meal. It guarantees us that the merit feast of the Lamb is coming. At this table the Lord will strengthen our faith. That's why he instituted this sacrament. When he took the bread and broke it as a sign of the breaking of his own body. Christ thought of centuries to come. And the battle the church had to fight. And he also knew that that battle would become more and more difficult. Since Satan is also there to build his kingdom. We see it all around us. By the rulers of this world. Scripture speaks even about an anti-Christ. The Lord knew that the days would come that most people would rather bow their knees before the man of lawlessness. Indulging in a life of lust and immorality. A life of having it all in, in the here and now. Not realizing that that life will end in death. Isn't that what we see around us in society? Knowing that this would come. Out of love for us. The Lord instituted the sacrament of Holy Supper. To strengthen our faith. At the same time through his visible signs and seals of bread and wine. Christ also wanted to reassure us that the victory is his. In scripture we read that one day our Savior will slay the Antichrist with the breath of his mouth. He will destroy his kingdom. When he comes from the clouds of heaven. Every celebration of the Holy Supper points us to that glorious future. Beloved, by grace alone, we may belong to this Savior. By God's grace, we may follow him on his way to that great future. Today, most people find it too difficult to follow Christ. As far as that is concerned, nothing has changed. In John 6, we also read that most of the Jews took offense at Christ's words. They did not want a Savior who had to die for sins. Jesus presented himself as the true mediator between God and man who gave his body and blood as food and drink unto eternal life. Many turned their back upon him. They found it hard to listen to these words. It's hard to listen that we are sinful. And that's why in many churches we have only the gospel of love. It sounds so nice. Isn't God love? We are not allowed to, take, to talk about God's wrath. Let alone that Christ had to die for our sins. We are doing okay. And God loves us. It's hard to listen to a gospel that points us to our sins. To a gospel that says, examine yourself. How's it now with you in your life? 
So that brings us in the crisis so that the Lord Jesus also says to his disciples, perhaps you want to, you want to leave as well. But then Peter says, and that's that wonderful confession, that Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. A beautiful confession, not of Peter himself, but by the Holy Spirit. Beloved, there should we go. Through life is found in Jesus alone, our Lord and Savior. Through faith in him, we may, we may share in his life how privileged we are. Let's remember this every time we celebrate Holy Supper. So that being reassured of his hearty love and faithfulness towards us, we may live our lives in thankfulness to God each day. And this, as the form for the celebration says it, not just in words, but also in deeds. Living our faith. To live our faith. That's what counts. We know it all. But to live it genuinely, in sincerity, bringing glory to God for all that he has given us in Christ. Daily remember what grace means. God's riches at Christ's expense. Yes, how deep the Father's love for us. How fast, beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. That's us. A wretch. God makes it his treasure. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound.
with you in thanksgiving and prayer. This afternoon, our congregational prayer, we will remember our brother John Jensen and his family. Brother John Jensen was last week diagnosed with esophageal cancer. On Tuesday, he will hear more about whether it has spread or not and what treatment is needed. We will pray for him, his wife, and their children and their families. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, when thinking about thy deep love for us, a love fast beyond all measure, we can only humble ourselves, knowing that we often take this love for granted, no longer standing in awe of thy grace for us, wretched sinners. This afternoon we could again hear what precious price had to be paid to rescue us from sin and death. Every Sunday in the preach you are reminded of this, and also when the sacraments are administered. This afternoon we could focus on the sacrament of Holy Supper. Lord, help us daily to live from these riches, whether at work or on holidays. Help us always live close to thy words as a guide for our lives, to stay focused on thee. For Father, without thy words, the light will grow dim, and in the end it will become dark. We see this when church members start disobeying thee, living on the edges, slowly drifting away. Lord, help us look out for each other, realizing that we are traveling together, Grant, when realizing this, we ensure that none stays behind or starts following sidetracks, which always end up in dead-end roads. Helps reach out to, to those living on the fringes and those who have turned their back on the church. Lord, we realize this is hard, especially when there is no willing ear to listen. Lord, where our arms are too short to reach them. Thy mighty arms are strong and safe to soften even the hardest heart. Thou art a mighty God, able to save. To this we cling. May we bring all these protocols before thee. If it's thy will, work repentance, so that they may return to thee and together with us may, become, may come safely home. But we pray thee make our families safe havens. The husband and wife love each other unconditionally in self-denying love for one another. Homes where also compassionately, we compassionately reach out to our children so they feel safe. Help our children to respect their parents. Grant them willingness to listen. Bless so our family life for the furtherance of thy kingdom. Lord, we need to all of us. We need to all thy struggling children, be it physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, carry them all by thy never-ending love and all-sufficient grace. Father, this afternoon we pray thee, in particular for our brother Jensen. Again, cancer has flared up. Our brother and his wife have gone through so many trials already in the past. 
and our again, Father, that hits hard beyond our understanding. When you are healthy and everything goes well, we have no, we have no idea what others go through with treatments and whatever. Father, at this moment we are not yet sure what will happen, but the message has hit hard. And therefore, Father, we bring our brother, John and Francis, together with their children and families. We bring them before Dyeskrow. But in cases like these, we often feel so helpless. And sometimes we don't know even what to say. But thou knowest us. Thou knowest John. Thou knowest Francis. Thou knowest what they need. Carry them by thy grace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You now receive opportunity to give to the Lord your gifts of thankfulness. And the collection today is for Eucalypts. And then in closing we'll sing hymn 37 verse 1 and 2.
Receive the blessing of the Lord and depart in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.